there's plenty of room for you in my father's home. If it weren't so, I, wouldn't have told, I would have told you that I'm on my way. Uh, would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I'm on to my way to get your room ready, I'll come back and get you so that you can live where I live. And you already know the road I'm taking. Thomas said, Master, we have no idea where you're going. How do you expect us to know the road? Jesus said, I am the road, also the truth, also the life. No one gets to the Father apart from me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. You've even seen him. Philip said, Master, show us the Father. Then we'll be content. You've been with me all this time. Philip, and you still don't understand? To see me is to see the Father. So how can you ask, where is the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you aren't mere words. I just don't just make them up on my own. The Father who resides in me crafts each word into a divine act. Believe me. I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. If you can't believe that, believe what you see, these works. Well, is Jesus Christ the only way to God? Perhaps we might think the answer is fairly obvious. Or maybe we're not so sure. We live in a country where many cultures and religions meet. Did you know that Australia is the second most multicultural nation in the world? And Christianity is presented as just one option out of many in choices in spirituality. And in our shrinking modern world, we're no more than 24 hours away from any spot on the globe uh, when we can travel. Um, <laughs> you know, television brings into our living rooms the, the coronation of a pope the burning of a Buddhist monk, uh, the uh, Muslim ceremony conducted by a political leader. And around our suburbs we see uh, temples and mosques and other evidences of this trend in our multi-faith society. For Christians to say that Jesus is the only way to God is seen as the, the height of intellectual arrogance. So how do we actually respond to that? Do we shrink back from being quite so dogmatic? We meet people of different faiths and find that they're sincere, educated and intelligent. And the question arises as to whether Christianity is unique among world religions or is it just a variation on a theme? To put it another way, doesn't the sincere Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu or Jew worship the same God as we do, but under another name. Is Jesus Christ the only way to God? And today I want to explore three areas that are going to help us as we answer this potentially explosive question. Firstly, what is truth? Secondly, are all religions really the same? And thirdly, what does the Bible teach? Well, let's look at that first question. 
Pilate's question of Jesus, what is truth, needs to be asked again today because there's a lot of incredibly woolly thinking about what is true. And people use lines like, that's your truth, as oh, that's true for you, as if truth can be individually determined as if a number of different and often contrary approaches can all at the same time be true. Imagine if you were doing a maths test and uh, the first question is 3 plus 2 equals and you're feeling a little bit confused and you write down 7. And the second question is a multiplication. You're a whiz at multiplication and uh, you attack confidently four times eight, and you write down 32, and you go through the paper. And the uh, moment arrives when the papers are handed back. You look at the first question, you, where you've written three plus two equals seven, and it's marked correct. It's got a big tick next to it. And you're not really sure that's right. And you look at the paper of the person next to you, and they've got three plus two equals five. And you... They've also had their question marked correct. And you think, wow, their answer looks right. And you just go through that inner agony of whether you put your hand up and ask the teacher if they've actually made a mistake. And uh, you put your hand up and, and you ask, is 3 plus 2 actually really 7? And the teacher says, yes, it does. That's right for you. And all around you, a sea of hands goes up. What about six? Yes. Four? Yes. Eight? Yes. Everyone is marked right. Wouldn't that be great? Or would it? Would we have any idea anymore of what is true? Sincerely believing something doesn't make it true. As anyone will ever testify who's picked out the wrong bottle out of a medicine cabinet in the dark. Faith is no more valid than the object in which it's placed. No matter how, insincere, how sincere or how intense that faith is. You can believe 3 plus 2 equals 7. We can even vote on it at our next church meeting. But it doesn't make it true any more than fumbling about in the dark and, and believing that bottle of laxative is cough medicine. <laughs> Our second question, are all religions really the same? Well, these same principles apply to spiritual things. Believing something doesn't make it true any more than failing to believe truth makes it false. Facts are facts regardless of people's attitudes towards them. In religious matters, the question is, is it true? Take, for instance, the fact of the deity, life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christianity affirms these facts at the heart of its message. And this is backed by almost 6,000 early New Testament and whole bunch of others besides that were less early, early New Testament documents and multiple non-Christian sources. Other religions, Islam for instance, denies the death and resurrection of Jesus and denies Jesus' claim to being God. 
On this very crucial point, one of these mutually contradictory views is wrong. They can't just both be true at the same time, can they? No matter how sincerely they're believed by millions of people. And a great deal is said about the similarity of world religions. And many people naively assume that other religions are basically the same, making the same claims and essentially doing the same thing that Christianity does, but in slightly different terms. Well, though there are some similarities, the differences far outweigh them. One of the similarities is the um, golden rule, which is contained in almost every religion. From Confucius's time, we have the statement in various forms that we should do to others what we would like them to do for us. But if that's the essence of Christianity, if that's all that Jesus has done, then he's actually increased our frustration. People's problem is not necessarily in knowing what they should do, but in lacking the power to do it. And Christ made the requirements higher. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teased out the full implications of the law with the repeated formula, you've heard that it was said in the past, but now I say to you. But this raises our frustration level. That is not all that Christ did. And that's a major difference between Christianity and other religions because Christ offers us his power to live as we should. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us cleansing. He, he gives us his own righteousness as a free gift. He gives us a reconciliation with God. He does something for us that none of us can do for ourselves. Every other religious system is essentially a do-it-yourself proposition. Follow this way of life, they say, and you will gain favour with God and you'll eventually achieve salvation. In a sense, other religious systems are sets of swimming instructions for a drowning person. And maybe if I share a story with you, that might make it a little bit clearer. A man decided he would swim from Sydney to Hawaii. I don't think it's ever been done before, okay? So, you know, another record to go. And he he hired the finest swimming coaches uh, to train him. He worked out with Olympic athletes and um, he left no detail of that preparation undone. Finally, the big day arrived. He plunged into the ocean and began to swim 5, 10, 15, 20 kilometres out to sea. And the ocean was starting to look a little bit more uh, intimidating, more daunting. The waves were getting higher and uh, he thought, I'm not sure that I could actually swim to Hawaii. And so he began to realise that and and he was just too far. Um, And he started to think, what can I do right at this point now? And... um, He was uh, gasping for air. 
is about to go down for the third time. And uh, just as he was um, about to go down, a motorboat pulls up alongside him. And uh, the guy in there says, um, well, he's crying out, save me, of course. Um, The guy in there says, uh, um, friend, you look like you're in a whole bunch of trouble. Uh, What you need is the waterproof edition of my book on swimming to Hawaii. Then you'll be okay. You know, that'll that'll really help you to to actually get there. And uh, obviously, our, our swimmer friend needs more than a book. Well, let's suppose that as our swimmer was gasping for his last breath, uh, that uh, when that motorboat pulled up alongside him, he cried out, save me. And the owner said, friend, you're in trouble. What you need is some swimming instruction. And I'll, I'll do that now. I'll just jump into the water next to you and I'll show you. The secret is actually in the breathing. You could actually, you know, breathe and then blow, breathe and blow. Then you'll be okay. Then you'll be able to swim to Hawaii. So uh, let me just uh, help you with that. And so he did. And uh, then he climbed back in his boat and motored off. Well, obviously our friend is still in a bunch of trouble. Well, this time, uh, let's try again. This time the swimmer is gasping for his last breath and the motorboat pulls up alongside him and he cries out, save me, save me, please save me. And um, I suppose the owner leans over the rail and says, look, you're in great trouble here. I can see that. What I'm going to do is I'll actually get you into my boat and... uh, gave him a meal and and something to drink and everything like that. And then he says, "Okay, you've had a break. Um, You're still, you know, like thousands of kilometres from Hawaii, but you've had a break. Uh, Now, you lazy fellow, get back in the water and keep on swimming. (laughs) Okay. Um, One more try. This time is our swimmer friend is gasping for his last breath. The motorboat pulls alongside him and he says, save me, please save me. The owner leans over the rail and says, "Um, you're actually drowning. Um, uh, I'm going to get you into my boat and puts him down in the chair and uh, gives him a meal and takes him all the way to Hawaii. Now, which of these guys in the motorboat was actually the saviour of our drowning friend was the last one, of course. He was the only one who rescued the swimmer from his predicament, from certain death, and took him to a place where he was safe again. In a similar way, God didn't write the Bible as an instruction book on how to get to heaven. Nor did Christ come to show us only how to live a life that was pleasing to God. Not Jesus did not come to just give us a little extra boost when, and a break when we needed that and then um, let us go on our own way. But Christ came to rescue us from our 
predicament. He did all that the drowning swimmer needed for rescuing, for salvation. Well, in other religions, good works are the means by which someone hopes to own to uh, uh, to earn salvation, rather. And in Christianity, salvation, of course, is received as a free gift through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And good works are our response to that salvation. Let me read to you from Ephesians two. Uh, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Christianity is what God has done for man in seeking him, in reaching down to help him. Other religions are a matter of man reaching up to God, struggling toward God. And because of this profound difference, Christianity alone offers assurance of salvation. We can know, we can be sure about our friendship, our relationship with God. In every religion where works are the basis of salvation, it's impossible to ever have that assurance. We can never know that we've ever done enough. Fear persists because there's no surety about salvation. But the contrast with Christianity is just so massive that John could write in 1 John 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, underline, know that you have eternal life. So what salvation is, what it's pointing towards and um, is quite different in the world's religions than it is in Christianity. See, in in Buddhism, the ultimate goal is nirvana, uh, the extinction of desire. This total nothingness has been compared to the snuffing out of a candle. In Hinduism, the ultimate goal is reunion with Brahm, the all-pervading force of the universe, which is the Hindu's God. And it's likened to the return of a drop of water into the ocean. In Islam, heaven is a paradise of wine, women and song, and which ironically one abstains from these things, he'll be rewarded um, with in paradise and by following the five pillars of Islam. And even on the concept of God, there are wide differences. Um, Buddha never claimed to be deity. In fact, he was agnostic about the whole question of whether God existed. Hindus are pantheistic, uh, which means that all is God. God and the universe are identical. Uh, And in contrast to the great religious teachers of the world, Christ alone claimed to be God. In 1 John 14, the passage we read earlier, Jesus answered Philip, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Believe me when I say that I am in the the Father and the Father is in me. 
And if we think that Jesus was somehow speaking about being one in purpose with his father, the full impact of what he said was not lost on the Jews when he said to them in John 10, I and the Father are one. And John 10.31 records their reaction. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, they said, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So it's pretty clear to the Jews that Jesus was claiming to be God. And in contrast to the other religions where, um, which emphasised the teachings of their leaders, Jesus Christ made himself the focal point of his teaching. Who do you say I am? For their response to that question was key, as it is for us today. Jesus is not just another religious leader, but the God-man who calls us to follow him. And on the questions of who God is, the, the nature of salvation, how that's obtained, it's clear that Christianity differs radically from other world religions. Jesus alone offers us a sure standing with God. In Jesus, the Father reaches down to us and does all that's needed to bring us into relationship with himself. Well, our third and final question is what does the Bible teach? When a Christian asserts that Jesus is the only way to God and that apart from him there is no salvation, uh, they're not suggesting that Christians think they're better than anyone else. Some people think that Christians have formed a bigoted club, that uh, uh, they're intolerant, that they're narrow-minded. But the greatest reason, by far, for Christians asserting that Jesus Christ is the only way to God is because that is what the Bible itself teaches. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Christians believe this not because they've made it their rule, they've made up something, but because that is what the Bible teaches, that is what Jesus Christ taught. Uh, In verse 6 from our reading, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No one. We can't affirm anything else. We can't vote to change it. But we can respond to it. And we can respond in two ways. If we've never before made that commitment to finding God through Jesus, I invite you to do that today. To accept that his death is all that is needed for forgiveness and friendship with God. And to allow him to take over the running of our lives. If you'd like to take that step, I'd love to connect with you after the service concludes. If you've already made that commitment, we're left with a challenge that we have been entrusted with the truth, with God's message of reconciliation. And as our country becomes more multi-faith, the mission field has come to our door. 
But will we be less than bold about proclaiming the gospel of truth? Will we shrink back? Because people need Jesus more than ever before. Whether they realise it or not, people need the Lord in our own community and overseas. I ask you today, as I ask myself, will you commit to this task of reaching others for Jesus Christ? 1 Peter 3 reminds us that Christian apologetics is not just a a narrow rationalism, but it's a matter of reverencing Christ in our hearts, not just in our heads, with a clear conscience, not just good logic, where to account for our hope and where to do so with gentleness and reverence. And when we do this, when we connect with people in that sort of way, we will be surprised to see how God works and how people respond. Michael Green, evangelist and theologian, says this, No faith would enjoy wide currency if it didn't contain much that was true. Other faiths therefore constitute a preparation for the gospel and Christ comes not so much to destroy but to fulfil The convert will not feel that he's lost his background, but that he's discovered that to which, at its best, pointed. This is certainly the attitude I've found among friends converted to Christ from Hinduism, Islam and Buddhism. They're profoundly grateful for what they've learned in these cultures, but they're thrilled beyond words to have discovered a God who has stooped to their condition in coming as a man of Nazareth and who's rescued them from guilt and alienation by his cross and resurrection. Friends, would you join with me in prayer? Let's pray together. Our Father God, if we haven't yet taken that step of trusting you with our lives and our salvation, because of what Jesus has done on the cross alone. Would you lead us on in that journey? Father, for those of us who've taken that step, we recognise that sometimes we're stumped, sometimes we don't have all the answers, and sometimes we need to do a bit of digging to be able to answer the questions that our neighbours and our work colleagues have. Help us as we seek to do that. Give us boldness as we proclaim Jesus Christ who died, crucified and is risen again. Father, we thank you that we have a living founder in Jesus. And we pray that we would be faithful in following him and speaking out for him. We ask it in his name. Amen.